Coming to you from Charm City, I'm Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you're listening to Lit Pop Bang. All right, great. We have a great episode for you today. Another fantastic writer has come to join us today. Um, if you're listening, you should be listening to us in early March. Yeah. in March, unless you're in our back catalog. Exactly. Yeah, unless right. you're late on Black History Month. <laughs> All right, great. Today we have Tyrese L. Coleman. Tyrese is a writer, wife, mother, and attorney. Her debut collection of stories and essays, How to Sit, was published by Mason Jar Press in 2018, and it is a finalist for the 2019 Penn Open Book Yay. Award. Her work has appeared as notable in Best American Essays 2018 and nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Occasionally, she works as an instructor at the Writer's Center in Bethesda, Maryland, and other ad hoc workshops. Therese often writes about issues relating to motherhood, family, and pregnancy. Her essays and fiction have appeared in BuzzFeed, Brainchild Magazine, Rewire News, Black Warrior Review, The Kenner Review, Literary Hub, Washingtonian Magazine, The Rumpus, The Offing, Pink, Queen Mob's Tea House, Dahoma, Literary Review, Hobart, and more. Tyrese grew up on a dirt road in Ashland, Virginia, the self-proclaimed center of the universe. She received her master's in writing from Johns Hopkins University and a BA in English Language and Literature from University of Maryland in College Park. A member of the Maryland State Bar, she received her JD from University of Baltimore. She lives in Washington, D.C. metro area, but is a country girl at heart. Tyrese, welcome. Thank you. Welcome, Tyrese. We're happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I mean, that bio was massive. When you read that long list of places she's been published, that was like... It's a a good one. It's like a long And they're not not, not nonsense names like I have in my bio, right? Oh, don't say that. They're like Hank Every magazine is important. That is true. That is true. Um, true. Tyrese, so uh, often when we're here on the podcast, we ask everyone if they would like to add something to their bio, if there's something in particular that we yeah. left out that you would like listeners to know. Yeah, what's um, you that's not represented there? Oh, goodness. It could be anything. What's me that's not represented there? Uh, I think what's me is <laughs> my husband is a cooler person than I am. <laughs> I know that's not a, a literary <laughs> bio thing, but um, you know, you guys were talking about uh, the, the list of publications. My right. husband is uh, he works for the Smithsonian and collected uh, the mothership and collected, uh, you know, Chuck Berry's Cadillac. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, so he's a lot, he's a much cooler person. (laughs) He has a cool job. That's a cool job. Yeah, Yeah. he does have a cool job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so speaking of jobs and work, um, one thing that the literary communities don't do a good job talking about is that most writers have day jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Uh, Only a tiny fraction of writers who publish books are making a living writing those books alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So Cece and I both teach for a day job, but you're an attorney, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about, like, uh, how that day job interacts with your writing work, both, Mm -hmm. like, your practice, but also the subjects that you choose to write about or choose not to write about? Mm -hmm. Well, I I work for the federal government, um, so... I had a lot of time to <laughs> write. You did, you did. Uh, recently. Re- very recently. A writing retreat. <laughs> yes, it was a... Self-imposed. Self-imposed writing, writing retreat. retreat. And I actually, it actually was good because, um, you know, prior to the furlough, I was working from home. I've been working from home for oh. two years. Oh. My, my position with the federal government was a field position. So oh. I woke up and rolled out of bed and turned on my laptop and started working. Um, which allowed me to get a lot of writing done because I could um, get my work done, work for two hours, then write for two hours, then work for two hours. Are you you sure your boss should be hearing this? (laughs) Look look at me. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. But it was, but you know, the way we kind of do it was, you know, even like when you're in a physical uh, duty station, that's like an office, you have set hours. So now that I'm there in the office, I have to, I can only be there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Like the doors shut at 6 a.m. But when you work from home, you know, you could be on your laptop 2 a.m. reading cases or whatever. So so it definitely lended itself to getting work done. Um, And then the furlough, I had to stay disciplined. Um, I left my house 
at eight o'clock or whatever it yeah. was, went to a coffee shop and just wrote all day. Wow. And it was glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, it was so Not nice. Not the furlough, but just, but just the fact that you had the, yes. the yes. availability the, to yes. write. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. It was a very eye-opening period of time yeah. because I wondered whether or not it was like the life of someone who actually does I mean I don't know anyone who does just sit there and write that's full true. time yeah. right, right. but if they do I yeah. mean they live a very charmed life that's they do. for sure they do because that was nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> it actually it's so nice to hear that too because there's so many terrible stories about the furlough and the shutdown right of people there like, are. Mm-hmm. trying to scrape by and worrying about when it's going to end and the nightmares of people working without pay. Right. And right, so right. to hear at least something good come out of it, right? Right. Like, and I think, I think, I mean, I'm privileged in the yeah. fact that I am a permanent government employee. Mm-hmm. So right. if, you know, so I'm protected. Whatever Congress right. puts in, you know, to, to pay us back, right. I'm covered. But right. there's a lot of people who aren't. So right. I'm very privileged and I'm, you know, I understand that privilege. Yeah. Um, and I also understand, you know, that, you know, we had some savings that helped us do be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because 2013, that was not my position. Yeah. 2013, yeah. I was, you know, putting in unemployment claims. I was worried about our mortgage and yeah. we learned from that, from that time. And so that, this last furlough, you know, I was at the coffee shop with my yeah. omelet and my laptop. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> so I want to ask you a question that's a little bit more about the work of doing legal work mm-hmm. in comparison to doing creative writing, right? right. So when I read how to sit, um, the, the language and the pace and the meter of it, everything is very lush and very, um, when I hear you talk about your grandmother and, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it feels to me um, very down home, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine, or I don't know anything about legal work. Everybody here at Lip Pop Bang knows that I don't know anything about legal work. <laughs> but um, but I would imagine, you know, legal briefs, uh, you know, filing legal briefs, things like that are very official. The language that you use is, you know, um, right. very strict in certain mm-hmm. sort of ways. So how do you, do you feel like those two categories cross in any sort of way or maybe the research even though you write a lot about your family and home Mm -hmm. and things like that the research that you do for your law work does anything come into does anywhere bleed over do you feel like does it bleed over I I think I have to it bleeds over not so much in the language but in my response to my own writing like the way that I've learned to sort of check myself in when I start running into wanting to do legalese, like it's a totally different mindset. So it I, is. I have right. to um, switch. It's like right. it's, it's almost like a button that you turn on. Okay, uh, today I'm writing creatively, and I'm going to use all those skills and whatever I have right. to to make that work. And then tomorrow or later on, when I open my laptop and look at cases, and I have to write whatever. I'm going to turn on my legally switch. Yeah, and right, yeah. it's more of a muscle that I hmm. feel like I have to control and contract. Um, hmm. So, uh, but I feel like the basis of one does play with the other. So if hmm. you ever read, um, and for whatever reason right now, I can't think of any justices off the top of my head, but <laughs> they some of those cases, especially um, civil rights cases hmm. from... Yep like the 60s or whatever, if you read them, they are so eloquent and they so are. moving and so beautiful. Yeah. they It feels like you're reading a piece of, like, beautiful nonfiction, like a mm. very well-crafted essay mm. about a particular topic or, yeah. or um, uh, civil rights action. And so, you know, that was always my um, favorite part of the law. Mm. I'm not, I'm not a trial attorney. I'm not going right. to go in there and, like, pound your head in and be like, you know, objection. That's not me. <laughs> right. I'm going to be the one doing the research, reading the cases, right. finding all yeah. the little pockets and stuff because I'm sort of a, a nerd that way. Sure. Um, and I think that's the writerly part in me, too. Yeah. The creative writerly part yeah. in me yeah. who likes right. to read and um, find the holes and the arguments and yeah. stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think why you hear uh, some of these cases, like the uh, Oberfell, the decisions from the Oberfell case mm-hmm. have become like 
readings at weddings, like when they're talking about like why people marry yeah. and they're defending the right to right. marry. Like right. people are like, oh, that's beautiful poetic language. That's right. going to be in our ceremony. Right. Right. I think yeah. the loving case too. I think yeah, people absolutely. use yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's interesting to, yeah. to hear you talk about the language of law. You know what I mean? And I have a lot of friends who are, are both lawyers and writers actually. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I have to, a theory about that. Oh, I feel oh, like what's your I feel like most lawyers want to be fiction writers. Oh yeah, really? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. so many people. Oh, we need the stats on this. <laughs> like, well, we need it's to, interesting because hmm. you see a lot of schools. Um, you know, English is fighting for its place in the university now. Well, of a course, lot of places are really? being like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. Ooh. Yeah, the humanities just generally are fighting in a stat-controlled right. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, English, in part, a lot of English programs are defining themselves as like where students should go pre-law, right? Like yeah, you should, a lot of them are housing, yeah. are trying to house pre-law yeah. under the umbrella yeah. of English. So you, you know, know effectively. Trying to hold yeah. on to something that's very practical. Yeah. You know it what I mean? It makes sense, though. Yeah. That's what I did yeah. when I was, you know, an undergrad. I had initially went to Maryland because I wanted to go to the journalism school, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I didn't get into the journalism school. Mm-hmm. So through my process of being there and being uh, discouraged to write creatively by a workshop leader, an English Aww. professor, who Boo. basically Boo. stopped me from that writing for a several, several years, I decided that if I was going to, you know, do something that I felt I was good at, which was writing, yeah. I should do something practical with mm. it. So there was a ton of, you know, legal writing, legal reading, credit yeah. courses at Maryland. So I just yeah. kind of mm. prepped myself that way. That's great. Interesting. So. And I bet the readers would love to hear that, too. It just sh- shows how um, one profession can lead into another, right? Mm-hmm. How you can use tools from one profession to help you go on to the other one. Right. You know what I mean? It also shows, and me and Cece Pepsi should say this, but sometimes your professors are wrong. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. He's saying that? I don't I don't know what he's talking about. Professors, professors are never wrong. I want to talk a little bit about the book in specific, and I want to ask you a genre-based question, okay. right? Here it is. Um, so it says, you know, um, debut collection of stories and essays, right, mm-hmm. is the way it's labeled. But I've heard many people call it creative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people uh, erroneously refer to it as straight fiction. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So well, how do you feel about um, genre titles in your work, and are you committed to staying true to one form or the other, and especially about, you know, we've talked before on the podcast, not with you, but with other writers, about um, veracity or about what is true and about, you know, fiction has this, you know, thing that it's not true, right? Mm -hmm. But creative nonfiction has the ability kind of, quote unquote, to move between worlds. So Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering how you feel about um, people either mislabeling it or are you a stickler for Mm -hmm. genre or no? Does it matter to you? I'm just interested. Honestly, I don't care what they say about it (laughs) in terms of like uh, genre or labels and I I mean but to me that's the point of it Uh, the point of it is to um, subvert those labels Hmm, Um, to me I feel like when you're writing from your memories it's going to be not necessarily made up but not 100% accurate of course right so um, and I think that uh People want to give some sort of, um, I feel, unrealistic um, dictum that, oh, memoir has to be, like, fact. And memoir is not fact. Memoir, the term memoir is based in the word memory, and Mm -hmm. memory is not fact. (laughs) We love that. Um, So I, I wanted to specifically confront that um, and also um, also confront the fact that fiction a lot of fiction a lot of fiction that people are writing is based on their lives sure based on those memories of course Um, and you know uh, sometimes you want people to know that and sometimes you don't want people to know that so there's these two ends of the spectrum where um, quote unquote nonfiction has a lot of things that are not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And then where fiction has a lot of things that are definitely probably true. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, um, you know, to me, it's all the same. It's all writing. It's all, you know, poetry, (laughs) if you want to add that in there. Um, And so I just, I 
don't care if they want to call it fiction, nonfiction, not quite fiction. That's what I call it. Not quite fiction. Not quite fiction, like not quite term, nonfiction, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but all of it is based on my memories yeah. and my um, emotions and feelings about the events that took place in my life and how my memories and those e- how those emotions and feelings shaped those memories. Sure. Well, so. yeah. sure. There's a lot of cool work um, in feminist epistemologies and black feminist epistemologies about that sort of question, right? What is true? Yeah. What is fiction? Yeah. Um, a lot of it deals with that, like, blurring of what we can know is truth, right. somewhat specifically the study of memoir. Yeah. Um, my favorite, though, is actually Toni Morrison writes about oh, yeah. um, truth and fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she calls mm-hmm. all her work true fiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she said these are all stories. Right. right? True they're, fictions. Mm-hmm. They're important right. personal and historic truths. Mm-hmm. in those fictions. Yeah. Right. Um, but I like what Tyrese is saying about memory not being fact, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, and I think that's yeah. something the students, I mean, the world doesn't understand. Memory memory isn't fact, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we all if we were somewhere and a car accident happened, we might all three look at it and remember it differently, right? Mm-hmm. right. I might say the sky was gray, you might say, "Oh, the sky was cloudy." There was mm-hmm. definitely cloudy, you know. Mm-hmm. You might say, "No, no, it was overcast or it was or it was partially sunny." Right. You know what I mean? I mean, so right. I think memories are definitely um, what were suspicious in, a, right. in, a, in that sort of way, right. which is why I like what you're saying about uh, memories not being fact. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, I um, was trying to write an essay about going to. I had a panic attack uh, the the last time I went to the NICU because my kids had been in the NICU. Oh. And this hospital, and I was trying to recall sort of what my friends, because my friend had had. Um, premature babies and I was trying to recall what this hospital looked like and all I saw was a, a, a sanitarium I saw like a, a place for you know people who were committed for being like Ooh. mentally insane. that's all I saw in my mind and I know that hospital didn't look anything like that right, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> and I even tried to find pictures of the hospital to, sh- yeah. to kind of like get that feeling out of my mind. Yeah, sure. But that's all I saw. So that's what I put in the essay. I mean, clearly, I didn't say it was an insane asylum. Right. I said it felt like this. Yes. This is, you know, um, and that is what I hope comes across in my book as well, Mm -hmm. that like, you know, this is how I felt these, this is how these memories are making me feel when I think about them. This is the description right. I have of them, you know. So, you know, that's that's kind of what I was hoping to achieve. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I wanted the discussion about, I, I was inviting the discussion about whether or not this is fiction, nonfiction. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Because I think it's it's a market decision for the most part. But It is a market mm-hmm. decision. But it ends True. up being, if it's branded as nonfiction, it's like, oh, I expect this to be true and have yeah, a perception right. of what truth is. If it's branded as fiction, you accept some of it's autobiographical, but you accept it as false, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that, like you said, like a lot of a lot of work blurs that. Um, but I think people want it to be more, I, I don't know, in Tyrese's, in How to Sit, I would say specifically because of the violence and the sexual. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, of course, yeah. Uh, you know, trauma, whatever mm-hmm. word I would like to use there. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, people are like, okay, did that, are you... Are you saying this happened? People mm-hmm. really want to know. People want right. to, they want you to be um, a witness for some of these issues that are, yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, hot button issues in, in America right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of, you know, I think it's interesting that you're saying you're inviting the conversation and not really um, giving a straightforward answer. Right. Yeah. I think also it's a comfort level, comfort level too, because yeah, um, right. people like to know what to expect. And that's boring. <laughs> for lack of a better way to put yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's like, you know, you, obviously, I guess it depends on what you're picking up to read. Um, but, you know, if you want to read something that is uh, a little bit different and maybe artful and surprising, um, why would you want to know up front, you know, whether, whether something was true or whether something right. was made up or yeah. whatever. Like, just enjoy the writing. Right. Enjoy the story. Enjoy what's being put out there for yeah. you to, to read and digest. I so. think it's easier said than done, though. That's I think true. It, depending That's upon true. what kind of person you are. Yeah. But, yeah. but so many people, I think this is why people love uh, Based on a True Story, right? Oh, when they see it yeah. in TV and film, right? Like, oh, Based on a True Story. And they're really interested in, like trying to figure out on their own what's real and what's fiction. Mm-hmm. And That's such BS. 
You don't like that? I mean, I don't, I'm just saying, like, I mean, no, I see it all the time, but yeah, I, I don't yeah. pay no attention. I just be like, whatever. <laughs> I don't yeah, really enjoy it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't really, yeah. I'm not focusing on based on a true story. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm just watching it and being like, oh, okay, you know, and then later on, I might read an article or something that mm-hmm. pertains to that movie or TV show. And then I'm like, oh, you know, but I'm, I am more a person who loves to sort of like enjoy the ride. And yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And don't need to know all the truth. Right. Behind it. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Shifting gears just a little bit here, um, but still talking about how to sit. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes me most excited about how to sit being a finalist for the Pen Open Book Awards. Well, yes, congrats. when this comes out, though. Maybe a winner know. at this Maybe. point. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but one of the things what that makes do with me. That money? <laughs> one of the things that makes me most excited about it is that um, Mason Yard Press, who, full disclosure, again, produced yep. this podcast, yep. but. Mason Jar is a pretty small publishing house. Yes, it is. Especially in contrast to the other publishers right. uh, with works nominated in that category. Yeah. So it's two academic presses, the imprint of a big five press, and then Grey Wolf, which is theoretically indie, but it does 27 titles a year. Big indie. It distributes through a big five distributor. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a bit about that experience, um, both the experience of working with and uh, with like finding success with mm-hmm. uh, small, small press? Uh, it's so all of this is very shocking to me. Um, it's not what I expected when I went in to work with Mason Jar. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to experience being personally involved in the production of my book. I cool. wanted, oh, cool. I wanted a piece of. Art. Like I wanted mm-hmm. something less like a book you would buy at Barnes and Nobles and more like a really treasured piece of something that you would put on your shelf yeah. and yeah, like and, you know, kind of speak in hushed tones. about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to work with yeah. the small press, but also because of, you know, the experimental nature of this type of this book like mm. I had spoken with prior to um, submitting the book to Mason Jar I had spoken with an agent about something completely different and they were like oh well what are you working on and I'm like well I'm working on this collection that's a collection of stories and a collection of essays and it's kind of a memoir and she's like where would that go on a shelf and I'm like yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly exactly I don't know yeah. exactly so I knew that um, you know those big five, whatever, they were not going to go. It was not, this was not something that was completely marketable for them. What makes me so excited about the fact that PEN America took notice of this book um, is that one, I feel like they embraced that artistic um, out of the box um, sort of um, avant-garde Uh, nature of this book um, and really um, understood its premise and point um, and said, you know, this is as equally creative and interesting and um, thought-provoking and provides as much um, substance or contribution to the literary world Mm -hmm. as, you know, this book that's being sold, you know, across the 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 sea and you know making yeah. twenty five million yeah, yeah. or whatever right. I'm just being million little pieces hi, yeah right. hyper hi, you know I'm using <laughs> girl the dragon tattoo right 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 so um so I I really respect and I appreciate that yeah. and I think that there I think that that is transcendent uh you know around just in the art world you know we we're seeing um the rise of poetry you mm-hmm. know what I mean yeah. Yeah. um we're seeing like these these sort of, I don't want to say niche because to me it's not niche, but maybe to like the average consumer it's niche, mm-hmm. um, sort of interest in creative thinking and creative thought and creative yeah. writing and creativity in general sure. um, be put towards the forefront of, you know, what we are seeing in pop culture and things like that. So I, I think it's amazing. I also will say this. And I don't want to be like preachy or whatever, but a lot of my book is flash, and um, I am very involved in the flash community, and we have always felt sort of like the stepchildren of the literary community. Yeah, yeah. And some people find this interesting, but it's not selling. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. 
Um, and I want to say that, like, I'm really happy that this book has done well because it. I feel like it gives um, also legitimacy not only to small presses but to Flash, to yeah. the Flash community yeah. um, who have felt like... Uh, you know, I don't want to say marginalized because that's like adding an extra layer. Yeah. But who have felt like it's not a respected form yeah. of writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it is. Yeah. And even and it's, what's funny is I've heard I've gone to readings where very popular writers have written Flash. That's what they their stories are Flash. And instead of actually saying flash. I have this Flash right. piece in this anthology, right. they're like, well, this little short. Da, 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 they want to avoid that term. Right. By any means necessary, yeah. and but my work is Flash. Yeah. I'm part of the Flash community. You write your Flash. We are going to finally get the glow up. Get right. the glow up. Get the glow up. No, I love that you say that. I think it's an interesting trend, too, when you're thinking about literature uh, in the long term, right? We're thinking all the way back. Uh, yeah, whatever. I, I give a date, but I won't. When you're thinking about long-form novels, right, and how we have pro progressed over time, it makes sense that Flash, uh, we're here, it's, tw it's 2019, and mm -hmm. Flash is a respected form. You yeah, know what right. I mean? Yeah. I mean, novella happened before. People don't like that word. They didn't like that right. word for a long time, novella. Everybody was like, yeah. oh, it's a no you know, novel is over 300 pages, and who cares? Mm -hmm. Who gives a shit? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's nice if you do it, but it's also about the pro of the progression, I feel like, mm -hmm. of genres and what we're allowing to be in the literary sphere. Yeah. Right. You know, and yeah. I think that's more impressive to me because I'm, I'm, you know, just like music, right? I mean, or mm -hmm. or any other form that's morphing and changing. You know what I mean? It's important that all the all the spectrum is acknowledged. Right. Right. Yeah. And beyond just like the marketability of its flashes time. Right. There's also. I guess this is still a, a matter of time, but it's also poetry's time. Mm -hmm. And I think Flash is, is t t more tightly intertwined with poetry, yes. right? Like yes. Flash writers have a more, uh, a deeper focus on each individual word and yeah. on language itself mm -hmm. um, than more long form writers do. And right. so like that, it's, that poetry time and yeah. we're sort of accepting this as a form, those things are sort of intersecting and we're having this moment. Hopefully right. we're having this moment where right. flash I'm going to claim it. We're going to have yeah. this moment. <laughs> we're going to have this moment. It's a flash moment. Yes. There it is. All right, and we're back with the pop culture section yes, of the we podcast. Are. Uh, and Cece, you had a great one to start us off, right? Yes. Well, I'm always here for the black girl magic. Y'all yeah. know how I do. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, recently, I won't say how long ago, Beyonce on her Instagram uh, post was encouraging all of her followers and fans to go vegan. And how she did this is she actually issued a challenge. There is a vegan meal service called Green Print that actually she said, if you follow uh, Green Print and, you know, I could choose you as one of my fans to give lifetime tickets to either a Beyonce or a Jay-Z concert. Wait, lifetime? Yeah, yeah. Lifetime. 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 Oh, Beyonce and Jay-Z. Beyonce lifetime. and or Jay-Z. Right. So the and Carters together lifetime. or either of them solo. Lifetime. Yeah. Oh. Right. For right, so girl, you got to go sign up. Green print, you know what I'm saying. But yeah. I'm just talking about it. It, was, it broke out on Twitter. Everybody was, uh, you know, responding and saying, "I just don't know if I." I think Anthony and I sort of disagree on this. I sort of think I like the sentiment behind uh, encouraging people to go to plant-based food. But I kind of wonder if this is like a trend of Beyonce's. I know the beehive, don't come for me, don't at me, don't whatever. But I kind of wonder if this is like a trend that will go by the wayside. You know what I mean? Someone will, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of more interested if it was a longer term. This, this sounds kind of like bad. But I would be more interested if it was a longer term investment. If she was like, you know, I'm doing this forever. How do we know? And also, how do we know that people are actually converting? I mean, just because you sign up for the the meal service, so you don't you don't have to necessarily. I was reading about this. You don't have to go vegan necessarily. You have to sign up for the service, which is is not meal. It's not a meal service. It's a tracking service that encourages you to take oh, they, small steps towards veganism. So oh, they lied. They Mondays. said meal. They said meal service. I, I was looking at it today. I don't think it's meal service. It's so if you go to the website, it's. Um, I didn't go to the website. Green I just, print yeah. is like. Um, it's encouraging to take small steps towards... Um, so what do they do? What does Greenprint act? Do they deliver so me food I think or they, no? I think they give you meatless options. They track your... Help you track your eating. They help you encourage you to do things like meatless Mondays 
or it's like an app or no meat breakfasts. So it's like uh, that gnome noom app. No, 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 no. There's a noom app that's like a weight loss app. There's like a coach. Yeah, and like oh. they they give you like tips and like you know it's very slow but like easing you into a more healthy lifestyle. I think it's that sort of thing. The sort of lifestyle weight loss apps. Yeah, oh. I think it's that for veganism, right? Well, it was, um, it was. And all you need to do to enter is give them your email address, which makes me think this is an spam. App. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a way it's for her to collect exactly yeah, collect the email address. How you yeah, doing? Exactly. Right. How you doing? Um, but yeah, you don't necessarily have to go vegan. You have to sign up for the service that will encourage you to go to vegan. I'm not doing either. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not doing so, either. So listen, it's thirty. So it's lifetime is it's legally defined as thirty years. Yeah. Which I mean, fair enough. I don't think they're going to be touring thirty years from now. Um, but up to thirty years of tickets, every one ticket per tour. Of any tour that they either one of them do or that they do together. Okay. You wouldn't not eat meat or at least sign up for the service. I would lie. I would. Li- I mean, first of all, I don't eat meat, so it doesn't. <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. actually. I'm just saying. But if I did eat meat, I would. Yes, I would sign up for the service. Yeah. Lie. Get the app. You know, puts around in there a little bit, and then give me a cheeseburger. Right. I mean. And how many black people do you know? I mean, I'm 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 not saying listeners, I'm not saying black people, but I'm but I'm just saying a lot of y'all got hot sauce in y'all pocket. And you right. don't put hot sauce on vegan vegan. Well, uh, you bacon. should though, because it probably is the only flavor. It is <laughs> <laughs> No, listen. If I may for a moment, shout out Land of Kush here in Baltimore oh. is a black owned yeah, vegan soul food restaurant. Here it's an amazing restaurant. Yeah, they're great. They, they, it's, it's, it's all the things on the traditional black soul food menu. They're so great. it's mac and cheese, greens, yeah, 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 I've been uh, there. chicken wings, yeah, yeah, uh, meatless chicken wings. I don't do none of that. Um, what else do they have there? Uh, yeah, uh, cornbread, of course, which is great. already vegan. But they're great. Yeah. So I think I actually, but that, but I, that should not be used as a marker of black people and veganism. Look, I'm, okay, <laughs> yes. I'm like the land of Kush is just one place. Yeah, I'm like, but I do think that there is a movement, a, a black focused movement ooh. for veganism. Well, so uh, I disagree with that. I I feel like there is basis for that. Um, it, it's it's. You know, veganism in the black community is really prevalent in D.C. Like, oh, D.C., yeah. there's, yeah. DC it, there's a huge... D.C. can't count either because, <laughs> because that city is full of hyper-educated people. Well, true. I'm, and I'm not hating, and I'm not and I'm not saying that it's not a mm-hmm. great thing that there is a movement in D.C. Right. for plant-based eating because I believe in it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I'm just saying the rest of the country... True, true. Maybe not so much the rest of the country, but I think there's right. also a history of veganism... Um, maybe not so much veganism, but maybe like a, a combination of vegetarianism mm. and veganism based in the like Caribbean community. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, well, they have a lot more. Caribbean right. tradition, but also Islamic yeah. traditions yeah. have restrictions on meat. Right. Yeah. 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 And and the reason why I bring up D.C. is because there's, a t- well, at least in the neighborhood I used to live in yeah. that was very close to D.C. I mean, there were, uh, I, was, I could name at least two or three Restaurants off the top of my head that were black owned yeah. and vegan restaurants. Yes. Um, within walking distance to my house. Yes. Like, yeah. It was yeah. a, you know, it's a big deal in that area at least. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I agree. Yeah. And I do know um, lots of black women who are vegans and who are, like, almost evangelical about their veganism to the uh, point where most, it is... Most vegans are. I'm not really, about that. I'm not about that. I, I love you vegans, but most vegans are. A, uh, a woman I know wrote a vegan novel. A vegan novel I'm that I believe even. is, like, a romance? A vegan romance novel? Yes. I'm not going to even. Okay. Okay. I can't remember all okay. the specifics. And I also don't want to put her on the spot. But she has listeners. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> she I'm has, just letting you know. She has written. She has a series of books. I don't. I believe they are self published, but they're all like vegan, kind of related romance or vegan. I, vegan fiction is what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. As a writer, I hate that. As a person to see me, I'm like, wow. I appreciate your. Your, your commitment, yeah. your commitment <laughs> right. to veganism, right? You know what I mean? Right. Vegan re- romance novel, right? You know what right. I mean? They're spreading a lot of non-dairy cheese on each other, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what I do think, Ooh, yes. <laughs> what I do think though, that uh, what really interests me about this is that 
what I think they're trying to do is uh-huh. exactly that. Because I agree. I think, like, there's sort of, like, a, a woke black movement that's committed to veganism and vegetarianism that's often middle class and urban, mm-hmm. right? And what I think that they're trying to do is to get people, like, in Houston and in working class Brooklyn to consider it, right? That I think they're using their leverage as black celebrities to talk to working class black people in places outside of where you'd expect it, you know? Well, maybe I feel like in some way, I mean, it's problematic because if you're trying to convince black people to become healthier, I'm assuming that's like the underlying reason behind it, right? Like, I, granted, I... I'm trying to become healthier, but I I am, I guess, that middle class. I have more options, and I can afford $8 vegan cheese if I want. Exactly. Exactly. If if you want to to help the black community become healthier, it has to start somewhere else. Right. It has to start at the grocery store. That's what I was going to say. Or, you know. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. Instead of encouraging people to be on this app that is encouraging them to eat healthier, meatless Mondays, things like that, I'd be more interested, look me, in Jay-Z and Beyonce um, putting grocery stores in a lot of these food deserts and putting um, lower lower middle class black peoples and minority peoples closer to healthier options in their neighborhoods and, and, and Tearing down some of these McDonald's and liquor stores. Right. How are you doing? I agree. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So that that to me is like putting your money kind of like where your mouth is. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, right. Green yeah. Print, I think this is cute. I think it's a movement. I think, it, you know, it's adorable. You know, whatever. But I'm just saying, I would really love to see a statement like, you know, I'm going to go into Detroit or whatever, and I'm going to put this Whole Foods, or or not even Whole Foods, but something that's like a Whole Foods right. inside and all these, these communities. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where they can get fresh gro- groceries and fresh, you know, produce and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. If I can give a shout out to Baltimore for a moment. Um, Baltimore is a city that definitely has a problem of food food deserts, sure. uh, particularly in working class black yeah. communities. Mm-hmm. One cool thing that Baltimore has is a tradition of what are called Arabers. Um, and in Baltimore, these are, they're these horse-drawn produce carriages. All those things. Um, that go through working class communities. And they're a weird, unique tradition in Baltimore that makes me so happy because we do have a serious problem of food deserts in, in working class East and West Baltimore. Yeah. But these are also the places where we see these Arabers yeah. and these horse-drawn produce plants, which yeah. are just so amazing. And yeah. so um, I love Baltimore. People don't know enough about Baltimore. I want to shout out You should that. write a book about Baltimore. I, I'm a transplant Specific, to Baltimore. And Baltimore is no, I mean, Baltimore's mean? a local's town, and yeah. I'm a transplant to Baltimore. So what does that mean? And I'm also white. So what does that mean? Do you feel like you would be That's, an imposter if you wrote something about Baltimore? I feel like I would be taking an opportunity that should go to a Baltimore-born writer mm. to write about Oh, Baltimore. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Just write I think, from your, perf- your I, perspective. Exactly. That's what I think, I do too. think that uh, writers should spend at least five, if not ten years, in a city before they write about it. I'm mm. approaching that second mark, that ten-year mark, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe. I think that's a self-inflicted uh, sure. restriction sure. on yourself. I think I think many other people have written uh, explicitly, uh, prolifically, about cities that they know absolutely nothing <laughs> about. I would name some of those I don't want to be here. that, yeah. I don't. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, we can't do that here at Lip Hop Bang. But you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, you know, I, th- I think it's all about, I think wherever your pa- whatever your passion is for something, I think you should... Um, dedicate your time to it if that's what you want to do. All right, cool. Uh, Changing gears just a little bit. Um, We don't want to talk about the Super Bowl, right? Uh, No, I don't. I'm I'm hashtag vets with cap, um, but there are many people... Who just don't watch Super Bowl? Don't oh, care ca- about- oh, is that a hat? That's a hashtag for Kaepernick. I yeah, didn't yeah, understand yeah, what you were a, saying. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay, it's that's for mil- military veterans who support oh, yeah, I got Kaepernick. It. I got yeah. it. it. Took a minute, um, so I didn't watch it. Um, I, I watched right. the Puppy Bowl, uh, okay. and I watched uh, WWE halftime Heat, but I did not watch the Super Bowl. Um, but one cool thing that I didn't want to talk about the Super Bowl. That's oh, and cool then I have a note too. But go ahead. Is that. Um, one cool thing that the Rams brought to the Super Bowl was, for the first time in Super Bowl history, two uh, the first male cheerleaders in the history of the NFL performed at a Super Bowl. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really cool. Um, so Napoleon Iniez and Quentin Perron became the first cheerleaders, both uh, young black men 
to become the first two male cheerleaders at a Super Bowl. And you know who would love that? Jonathan Van Ness would love that. <laughs> Jonathan Van Ness from The Queer Eye yeah, used yeah. to be a yeah. cheerleader when back when he yeah, lived yeah. in the Midwest. And he yeah. would love that the first two male cheerleaders were actually on the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's yeah. really exciting. It's really. I, I will say this. I, I think it's very cool. But it's also good to remember that um, the NFL is trash. Mm, well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And among the many ways that they are trash is that the, the cheerleaders in the NFL are exploited performers. So right. they get paid on average about $75 to $150 per game. Right. right? So they're there on TV. Uh, TV people are making money. Owners are making money. Stadium people are making money. I'm saying. Athletes are making money. Cheerleaders are getting paid $75 to $100 per game. I'm saying why they out there $75 per game in a very skimpy outfit. I'm just saying. And not because I'm mad about the skimpy outfit, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. I would not. I would not put myself in a skimpy outfit out for seventy five dollars. I wouldn't do that. I feel like it's a part time job. It's like yeah, it's it like has a, to be. It has to be. I mean, it's but like, damn, it's. I feel like it's one of those jobs where it's not a serious right thing. It's your side gig, but could also lead to other. Yeah, things. maybe it leads to like acting what? or modeling opportunities. Yeah, yeah. acting, uh-huh. modeling. Yeah. Like you can yeah. put it on your resume. So. You can yeah. get no. like an agent or no. something like yeah. that. Especially if you're a model, it, yeah, it yeah. probably looks good on a on a on a sheet. Yeah. That you were a professional cheerleader. Yeah. For? yeah. Okay. So here's the thing, Cece. This, they're athletes. Cheerleading is a sport. Yes, of course. Yeah. And these are people who are at the peak. They're the the very best in their field. Yeah. The highest level of their field. Okay, but and they're getting it? paid seventy five to one hundred fifty dollars per game for a seventeen game season plus postseason. I'm not. I'm debating that they shouldn't get paid more. That's yeah. not what I'm not saying here. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that I don't understand what would be the motivation to Why? do it. Why it's do a it? stepping stone. It's a stepping but stone. But now that you're saying is a lot of these people w- want to get modeling contracts and mm-hmm. stuff like, see, I don't know anything about that. The transition from cheerleader to model or, you know, America's well, top model. Think I don't about, know anything about um, that. The most famous cheerleader, uh, Paula um, Abdul. Abdul. Oh, Paula yeah. Abdul was a, a fly girl. Yeah. And then became a pop star. But yeah. she was a cheerleader. You're right. She was an L.A. Lakers, Lakers cheerleader. She was, yeah, yeah. And then she became a choreographer, working with Janet Jackson. Then she yeah, got, yeah. became a pop star. And I so, will say, as far as money goes, we are both poets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and poetry doesn't pay shit, but poetry leads to opportunities that does that do pay. No, but you... Yeah, but it's t- I don't I don't feel like that's parallel whatsoever. No, being no, not at all, not at all. I mean, doing something that because you can write poetry and stay in your room and not show anybody. I mean, you know what I'm saying. I it's mean, the <laughs> it's a performative and right. scantily clad aspect that you think is a factor here. Right, and I'm just like, what would motivate you to do that? Like, I, would I would have no objection to dancing and spotting for 150 dollars a game. I would have no. I would have no objection to that. I would have, uh, even if I were scantily clad, I have no objection to that, right? But I would have an objection to being at the very top of my field mm-hmm. and only getting paid one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the I mean, the, the price is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, the, pri- the see, price is like, you know, I don't being an agile, really so. the top of the field though. I feel like who is higher than than a professional athlete at the top of their field? I mean, I guess coaches, chilling coaches. I I I don't know. If, I don't know enough about if sports. the tra- if the tra- okay I I. I have a sort of understanding of, of cheerleading. Don't ask me where it came from. <laughs> but um, I feel like professional cheerleading for athletic teams and cheerleading as an industry, as a sport, are two separate things. Mm. I feel like you're more likely to become a cheerleader for a professional team if you are uh, someone who like just likes to dance rather than if you are uh, a like a, a cheerleader for like a college oh. level, um, uh, like those type of competitions are totally different. Like there's a totally different um, yeah. skill set involved in like doing cheering competitions and coaching for right. like high school cheering right. competitions and stuff like that. I don't know. I could be talking out of my butt, but. I, that's what I think. <laughs> and there it is. That's what I think. All right. All right. So another transition. Um, last episode, we discussed Kamala Harris announcing that she was entering the Democratic primary race for president. But there's a whole lot of people we didn't mention, and a couple who we've announced who have announced since, since then. then. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're recording in early February, so there may be even more by the, by time, the time this, this goes out. live. Yeah. Right. 
But so far, the players we have are this. Um, uh, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, um, she's from Hawaii. Yeah. She's a, yeah. Uh, last election, she was a Sanders advocate. Mm. Um, she's got a lot of attention, negative attention, um, for her previous positions on LGBTQ issues and on some anti-Muslim sentiment. She's a, a vet, and so that's really, really questionable. Mm, that's interesting. Um, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey, uh, former mayor of Newark, and also of the uh, I would not support black reparations fame. Oh, um, did he say that? He did, he did. I mean, I'm, I, again, people, these are just these are just notes about people <laughs> that you should know. It doesn't mean it you doesn't can thank mean, us. It doesn't mean we lean one way or the other here at Lip Hop Bang. We yeah. have no affiliations. Yeah. Um, I, like I've said in this past, I'm going to vote for whatever person wins the nomination, right? I'm a leftist independent in a. Oh, you're telling you telling uh, everybody what you're doing. I'm not in a closed anybody. primary state, so I actually don't get to vote during the primary. So okay. I'm going to vote for whatever asshole they push forward. But, I'm, I'm okay. not. I'm not telling my affiliation um, nor who I'm voting for. Okay, great. There. So. Um, <laughs> Also is Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Uh, she announced on New Year's Eve she made the yeah. announcement. Oh, I forgot to add that Cory Booker announced on uh, oh, Black Oh, first History, day of Black History, Black History, Month. History yeah, Month. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. forgot to add that. Um, also, Senator Kirsten, I'm saying that, Gillenbrand, Gillenbrand of New York uh, announced on The Late Show with Stephen uh, Colbert. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Julian Castro, he's a former mayor of San Antonio, announced yeah. recently. Um, he's excited. He's one of the first. He's the first Latino uh, nominee uh, to announce. Right, and then also not in the primary. We wondered if we should even mention this people, um, but announcing as an independent candidate <laughs> uh, and criticized uh, often in it is Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Is yes, also, is uh, right. <laughs> Wait, Tyrese just rolled her eyes the way yeah. I rolled my eyes yeah, when we were yeah. talking about <laughs> about the cheerleaders. I can't, people. <laughs> I can't. I mean, hey, why can't the why can't the CEO of Starbucks? What, how do you feel about he that? He can run, but he to can. run as an independent. And split the vote? Fuck that dude. Right. Um, yeah. Um, okay, and but also a uh, uh, sort of dark horse candidate, but the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, your hometown. Yes, my old hometown, uh, yes. Say, uh, mayor Pete uh, Buttigieg. Um, he's a Navy veteran. He's very young. He's 37 he's years old. Young. And he's the first openly out. gay yep. candidate to announce. He he's an out gay candidate. Yep. Um, certainly a long shot. But there yeah. to be the out gay candidate, which I think is really important. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, his his run, he's done some interesting things. Um, I have not lived in uh, in the Midwest in a very, very, very long time. But um, I've been kind of keeping uh, tabs on um, Mayor Pete. And he, he is a nice guy from what I've heard uh, uh, as a person. But um, he's had some interesting, people should uh, research their candidates is all, is all I would say. I think that's the best advice anyone can give. You should yeah. research your candidates. That's it. And then you should vote for whoever is opposing. Trump after that. Um, um, okay, uh, one last lip pop bang is not is not affiliated and it is not saying which way they lean. That's what no, that's, I, that's a nonpartisan statement. Well, whoever can beat Trump, you should vote for. Okay, um, <laughs> because you know when we think we haven't talked about the Republican nominees. Yeah, I'm not there, there's some like whispers of a Republican primary challenger, such as Larry Hogan, our, our yeah, governor. Yeah, I, I heard that. I heard that. It's not official. Right? He hates Baltimore. It's not official, right? But he has not no. Official. It's, it's, it's a whisper thing now. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, they said they keep saying, "Oh, well, Larry Hogan has potential," but they're like, "But he shouldn't run." Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on? It'd, it'd be a tough right. race. It'd be, of course, a tough challenge, but mm -hmm. it would be interesting. It would be interesting. Anyway, uh, moving on. We also have. Yeah, uh, uh, so the other thing I want to mention is that uh, before we go there, though, oh. um, no official announcement as of today, but um, two suggestions are sort of the writing on the wall. There are people who are definitely going to announce soon are Senator Bernie Sanders is oh. a, sort of hinted that he's going to run again. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, I was a Sanders supporter. I am a little doubtful of why he would ever suggest that he's running in 2020. But you know, it's part of part of the re people reason. Part of the reason people run is just to have that platform and to push the general nominee in one direction or another. Um, right. Yeah, to raise money. Um, another one is, uh, of course, uh, Vice President. Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, he's a name that should announce soon. People are expecting him I don't to know. run. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see if Joe is going to run or not. I yeah. had heard for a long time, you know, uh, well, long story. Anyway, uh, he speaks a lot in uh, Delaware. He yeah, speaks yeah. Uh, off that's the cuff his, often. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, he, I'm interested to see if he's going to run or not. Let's we'll see. That's we'll interesting. See. He's a, he's an interesting candidate. He's not a far left candidate. He's probably the most centrist 
one of the most centrist candidates running on the ticket. Yeah, he's definitely but, not left. Yeah, no, no, of course <laughs> not. So, uh, interesting race right now where we're seeing people, like, really move left <sighs> in me. response to the Trump government. I can't so. believe we're building up to this again. But, yeah, we did talk about—we <laughs> are shifting from there. We all were going to talk—we are—all three of us are going to talk about movie news. Yeah, yeah okay. Movie news. Nerdy movie news. Yeah. Okay. I'm not into it, but Anthony is. But yeah. I know I I know periphery on the periphery. I used to I used to watch before it got all out of control and yeah. everyone's doing a, yeah. a sequel to a sequel to a sequel part nine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can't yeah. keep up anymore. So you've watched a few Marvel cinematic movies. Yes, I I watched a few of, yeah. of every I watched a little bit of everything. Yeah. In okay. in the past. Okay. But I'm not but I'm not I'm not participating in any of the 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 going forward. And are I'm you a Marvel over. person? I do. I love them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing. Start of 2017, I had not seen any of them. Really? None of them at all. Hmm. Except for I saw parts of Thor 2 on a plane muted while I was falling him out of sleep. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I had not seen any. In 2017, I binged all of them in order. Mm-hmm. And I'm hooked now. I'm committed to the universe. All right. I, look at me. Was all it right. just the movies or did you include the TV shows too? Uh, I love all the TV shows except for S.H.I.E.L.D. Okay. Um, so the Defenders shows. Mm-hmm. Okay, n- let me rephrase that. Iron Fist is mm-hmm. the worst fucking show. Right, yeah. Danny Rand is the worst hero you can imagine. <laughs> like yeah. Batman, his power is white privilege mm-hmm. and wealth. Um, mm-hmm. Danny Rand's the worst person ever. Iron Fist is the worst show to Defenders. Mm-hmm. But I like the Defenders universe. Okay. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., kind of corny. Um, I didn't watch Shield. Yeah. I have seen the Defenders, but yeah. I didn't watch Shield. Oh, yeah. Defenders was on Netflix, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The Defender. It's it's four characters. Each has yeah. their own show. I saw, I saw it. And then there's the arching show, I The saw, Defenders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, in the last few months, a couple trailers come out. The trailer, the first and the new, as of the Super Bowl uh, trailers for Infinity or uh, for Avengers Endgame have come out, mm-hmm. and the first trailers for. Um, the new Spider-Man movie have come out as well. And Captain uh, Marvel. And Captain Marvel, of course. Mm-hmm. My real question <laughs> to you people who are into all of these yeah. um, these movies, A, how do you keep all of the characters straight in your mind? That's the, that's the first thing. I have never, I've never had as I mean, if I'm reading a novel, all the characters are inside of the novel, and usually there's not a sequel, or you, you know what I mean? Like, there's usually yeah, not yeah. a spinoff mm-hmm. of, I mean, you know, in fan fiction there is, obviously, you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, in real life, there's no, like, you know, Shuri gets an apartment in the city and mm-hmm. fights off warriors <laughs> with her, you know, I mean, there's no that. So it's just wild to me that people can keep all this stuff in their head. Like, I feel like, I feel like either... I feel like either I'm, my IQ is just a lot lower than everybody else's. I just don't, I couldn't, I can't. I'm like, who, what? Mine is utterly based on, like, thirst. Like, I'm obsessed <laughs> oh, I love that. with I love that. Chris Hemsworth. I yeah, love him. he's beautiful. He's love gorgeous. I, love I will, like, okay, drink okay. his bath water. Yeah. Okay. So, is he, like, is he your hey, number hey, one, number he, one most beautiful in the MCU? Oh, yes, yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. It, the last, the Thor Ragnarok really... Like and the La- and Infinity War really yeah. solidified Chris's place. Even with with the eye patch. Even with yeah. the eye patch. Eye yeah. patch is Especially hot. with the eye patch. Yes, eye patches are hot. hot. It very firmly put him as the number one Chris in my. Yeah. What, which Chris would you do? Um, question. <laughs> that's that's kind of like me and um, Michael B. Jordan. I, I, my thir- yeah, my thirst yeah, is yeah. high for Michael. Yes, B. Jordan. and Michael B. Jordan looked. Extra special in Black Panther, so yes, I, I will, you know. So a lot of mine is like I'm going to pay attention to all these beautiful people in my face. Yeah. So that's part of it. And you also have <laughs> little, bo- you have boys, right? I do. I Both have boys. Yeah, I yes. have two little boys, and they are obsessed. With oh, I yeah. bet they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, sub sub note, also spoiler for people who aren't following along. Um, the makers of the next Black Panther movie confirmed this week that. Uh, Michael B. Jordan would be returning as mm-hmm. Killmonger. I mean, of course, we so knew that. we don't. Well, he dies at the end of the spoiler. I'm sorry, I should. Have said <laughs> he uh, dies at the end of Black Panther. Yeah, right? but I mean, we. But does this mean he's going to be flashback? We'll see him, or does no, it mean that something I think about he lives. yeah, I think something he lives that reverses like the too. the Infinity War stuff we all, we all knew, we all brings him back as well? We all, yeah. all the good Michael B. Jordan fans already knew he was doing he was doing part <laughs> right, two. Look, right. I'm like, I yeah. was already on that information right. a long time ago. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. So for me, my Infinity War crush, mm-hmm. uh, or my Avengers MCU mm-hmm. crush, is M'Baku from Black Panther. <gasps> he yes. is the, yeah, he mm-hmm. is 
uh, absolutely gorgeous, he and he's vegetarian. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, he can catch it too. There it is. I mean, Precious. honestly, for real, I, there is not one person I can think of in that whole universe that I would like turn away. Like if I saw them. And I was single, and I was in a bar. I can't think of one person. Oh, you know who's my husband though, and I'm uh, um, is uh, Iron Man. Is, okay, I would turn him away. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. You <laughs> yes. turn to Robert Downey Jr. Yes, no. I, no, Robert Downey Jr. is my that's my husband. Um, He's not Man. even like a boo. We just need to get that house out in Pasadena <laughs> together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We, we don't even need to, to say no, you know what I'm saying, play thing. This is like me and him. But he's old school, you know, from yeah. a long time ago. And he kind of resurrected his career through the Iron Man, yeah. Iron Man series. I mean, so I, I Robert Downey that. Jr., yeah. I think I would be more likely to be like, oh, hey, Robert, what's up? Then, oh, hey, <laughs> Tony Stark, what's up? Right. That's, that's true. That's sense. true. Yeah. Tony Stark's kind of, he's, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. He's kind of quirky and... Uh, a little arrogant and, you know, like, I don't know. Love me some Tony Stark. Um, the the person I would not sleep with in the MCU is the guy who plays, I was trying to look it up real quick, the guy who plays Hawkeye. The Archer. Oh, yeah. The guy oh. from a, from a fucking, the bomb ID movie. Uh, What's his name? Hurt Locker. Oh, uh, um, Jeremy Renner. Yes. I, don't think, Jeremy I, I know a lot of people do. I get that. People do think he's attractive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not my cup of tea. He doesn't have much personality in the MCU. And I, I feel like they, but I, my husband was telling me that he believes that Jeremy Renner, there's another, like, personality to Hawkeye. And I can't remember the name of that character. But he believes that that's, who's going to show up in Infinity War. Not Hawkeye, but the person who turns, that Hawkeye turns into because his family dies. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, a transform Hawkeye. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 like the dark Hawkeye yeah, okay, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. I can't, um, I can't keep up. People, people, this, conversa- <laughs> this conversation about Marvel is over. I'm officially ending it, even if Tyrese and Anthony keep talking. Uh, All right, and we're back. We're wrapping up with the bang portion of our podcast. Yep. Today, we realized that this is the, the last podcast we'll publish before right. uh, AWP, AWP, the Association of Writers and Writer Programs Annual Conference. Uh, end of March, it will be in Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. All three of us will be there. Yeah. All three of us will be presenting this year. Uh, if you're there... Uh, look us up. We'll grab a drink with you. Or I don't know about that. I'll really? grab a drink with you. <laughs> I don't, you uh, open. Uh, open. If they buy it. Right. <laughs> I like that. In fact, bring a bottle. Look, yeah. I'm like, bring, a bo- bring the bottle and then right. we'll have a drink with yeah. you. Right, right, right. Um, show us Portland. Uh, okay, so, but we thought, like, uh, we've all been to AWP before, but yep. some of you who may listen, uh, it'll be your first time. Yeah. And so we were going to offer... Uh, tips for AWP first-timers, what you should know going into it if you're listening to this before you get to AWP and, like, what should I expect? What are some best approaches to experiencing it? Because I remember my first time, I was sort of intimidated by it, um, and I definitely bit off more I can chew. I planned every single day a whole day of scheduling. Nope, fucking didn't do that. Mm, Um, So what is your – what are your tips for AWP first timers. I think we should all go around and do one, and then if we have another one, we can go around and get Great. I think, Great. Yeah. I'll give my nonsense one first. Okay, okay. Right? My nonsense one is like, get your shoe and eyeglass game up. All right? So I would definitely agree about eyeglass. I, weird Maybe thing at shoe, AWP, every writer, uh, they bring their shoe and eyeglass game. Um, it's, I, don't I don't know if it's a thing unique to writers, a thing unique to AWP, but they fucking bring it for AWP. Everyone's so well dressed, but particularly. Particularly shoes and eyeglasses. I don't know. So I don't know. You really get I your, have to look about shoes. Yeah, but I know eyeglass, eyeglass, eyeglasses, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I feel like shoes are important practically, too, though, because you're going to be doing a lot of walking. Well, that's what I... That's, all fucking day, yeah. That's yeah. what I was saying. I was like, I saw, I've seen sneakers. Like, I've seen sneakers sometimes. But mm-hmm. you... But I don't, I don't know. But gla- glasses, I can definitely say yeah. I remember yeah. lots of fantastic yeah. ones. Get on your Zenny. Uh, get on, right, 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 right. <laughs> buy your shoes. Get shoes that are comfortable and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'll be wearing some. I won't uh, be wearing anything. Probably. Some brogue boots, probably. I'll probably be wearing something not that comfortable, but very gorgeous, only yeah. for a limited amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> look, look me. You do, for like, a limited you do the DC time. thing where you're like walking around in tennis shoes, and you get to where you're going, you'll put heels mm-hmm. on. Yeah. No, I won't. I won't do that. But I will just leave said thing and put on shoes and yeah. go home. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what I, that's what I will do. I won't be seen in them. Um, yeah. So I like that one. That's. Oh, I have a 
comical one too. Um, my tip, my tip that's funny and maybe comical is do not get drunk the night before no, you want to get up for an 8 a.m. panel and see no. someone that you really love present mm, their not work. Not going to make it. Yeah. Don't do that. No. See, the thing with AWP is a lot of times first-timers, uh, Anthony remembers his first time. I actually don't remember my first time. But I do know there were some times where I spent too much time in the bar the night before. Mm. And then when I wanted to get up and be fresh-faced and, you know what I mean, I was like, oh, man, I don't think I'm going to make that, like, 9-15 panel, you yeah. know. Yeah. And, and that really sucks because you're there kind of to see people who, you know, inspire you, or that's one of the reasons why some people come is to see panelists. So people, you know, lean, draw back on some of that liquor the night before. Wait till Saturday night, uh, unless you have a Sunday morning flight. (laughs) Or something. Um, I think my first piece of advice, I don't know if it's funny or not, Okay. um, but my first piece of advice would be to have a backup panel in mind. Because you... These panels, they're all marketed very well, and they have very nice, cute descriptions. And then you get in them, and the people on the panel aren't talking about anything. They're just kind of like, they're also halfway hungover and drunk. (laughs) They are, they are, they are. So have, if if you're like me, and like to have, like, you know, everything organized... Pick a backup panel so that you're not, so you don't feel like you've wasted your $300 registration fee or your $50 registration fee, and you can just skip on out. I I am the hero of the back row. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the back row. (laughs) I will sit in the back. Do I want to do this? Right, and (laughs) scoot on out if necessary. And they often swap people out too. They swap people who were listed on the program Mm -hmm. are actually not sitting on the panel. So you came from Michelle T. Michelle T couldn't make it. Or whoever. Right, Right. and and, you know, teary-eyed emoji. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, who wants to? I mean, you know. not Mm -hmm. No disrespect to the people who take <laughs> who sit in for people who can't who yeah. couldn't be Congrats there? You know what I mean? for speaking in. That's awesome. Right. Exactly, yeah. but also I don't want to see you. Ooh. Right. <laughs> I, we just didn't come for you. Okay. So another thing is uh, a serious one here. Oh, serious. Um, one. For me, um, if you're presenting or if you're attending, just consider accessibility. So it's a big yeah. thing. A big criticism that WP has received in the last few years yeah. is. Uh, lack of accessibility, um, uh, inability to provide interpreters, um, consideration of mobility when they build stages, so like no ramp for stages in places where they should obviously have ramps, um, stuff like that. So just consider accessibility, whether it's accessibility statements at the start of panels, whether it's handouts, which are simple solution. Um, It's a really easy thing just to look around you. Uh, Any person can look around them and say, hey, what, what, are the things that will make it difficult for a person with disability to access this space? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a real that's a really good one. You're right; they have been criticized for not being um, right. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, AWP is like this year, in, in lieu of all the things yeah, that have been wild all things. that's been brewing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, articles by Pete, disgruntled former AWP employee, lots yeah. of stuff. People, drama. Uh, yeah, exactly, <laughs> king of drama. Um, I have another serious uh, tip too, as well. This is a very simple one, and this is about shopping. Um, you know, maybe it's a lady. T- I don't know, or man, I don't know, lady man. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, for all those of you who are book shopping at the book fair, I would. Would say if you're looking for a particular book, do not buy it on day one, which could be Thursday or Wednesday or even Friday. I would say wait till the very, very last day of the book fair in order to buy said book. Now, I wouldn't say that about our guest here today. If you're if you're going and you see and you see Tyrese Coleman's book, I would not say wait until the last day. You know why? Because it might be gone. But, <laughs> but if it's a big book and there's a big stack of those books, you can say to yourself, you know what? They probably will put it on discount the very last day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I think that's a good shopping tip. It's something I never knew when I used to go to AWP. I used to buy all my books like day one because I freaked out and was like, I don't want anyone to have these books. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, by Sunday or Saturday night, They're everything was on sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Sad. Saturday afternoon, uh, between noon and whenever they close, everyone's trying to, to download their stuff. Nobody wants to fly home with that stuff. Deep, deep discounts on the books. Yeah, right. there won't, but there won't be any discounts on my book. Though. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Go to Mason Jar on Thursday. There won't, there Buy won't their be. books there, then. No, there won't, there won't be. Anyway, uh, so yeah. Tyrese, yeah. you have another one? Uh, so I think one thing that I learned, um, sorry, one thing that I learned when I went to the DC uh, AWP, that's the only AWP I've gone to, um, is that if there is someone 
big and famous you want to see speak that's like on the main stage get there early. Oh my super gosh, early. Yeah, yeah. Super early, like... You got locked out. Right. I, I got locked out. Also, the one time I got locked out, and then another time I ended up sitting somewhere where I couldn't even see Oh, or in hear. the overflow room. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just like <sighs> That so, probably was uh, Ta-Nehisi and Chimamanda, right? Pro- I, yeah, pro- probably. Yes, yes. That yeah. was my overflow room experience. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. And so yeah. just, you know... <laughs> You would think that a whole conference full of writers would mean that it would be late, but it's not. Um, just get there as early as possible. You, you would think post that they. Up. You would think that they would plan for those numbers, though. I mean, they do, but what can they do, right? I mean, like, I, I mean, maybe they what, don't anticipate that certain writers are going to be more. Yeah. Popular. I don't know. But wait a minute, don't you know how many people, out. look at me, don't, don't you know how many people bought tickets? I mean, how, how many, re- look me. But they're like, someone is somewhere. True, true. But they're like always like at, at the five o'clock or seven o'clock readings. They're always like two main events, right? Uh-huh. Two like top card stuff. Yeah. And mm. they have to balance what they expect for that, right? But that reading, the Chimamanda and Tanahisi Coats in D.C., um, yeah, the, the, the main room filled up in like, yeah. Nine minutes. And wasn't that like in the middle of the day? It wasn't like it was at like five. Four. Yeah. It was like yeah. four. It, yeah. yeah. Four was, o'clock. It wasn't like the main like. Yeah. Thing. I just I maybe maybe something happened there, but I'm just like, Kate, the numbers you should be able to, I mean, moderately well accommodate. Yeah. If you know, if you have three thousand people that are attending AWP, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. you should your rooms, I mean the rooms should seat. You know, 15 at a pop or, mm-hmm. you know, a thousand at a pop, yeah. you know, so that we're, you know, I just, I don't understand the sort of, I mean, maybe I'm being too, maybe this is too far and I'm being too far No, ago. you're right. Because <laughs> those rooms, it was two big conference rooms, but the wall was up between them. And so, like, they were right behind us, but we were looking at a screen mm-hmm. versus just opening that conference room and turning the chairs around. Um, so you're right. They could have arranged it better. I remember when I went saw, it was Ann Carson and uh, Augustine Burroughs, who mm. were running with scissors. Mm-hmm. And that was in, like, a big, like, I don't want to say stadium style seat, exactly. but it was, like, like risers exactly. in the exactly. back, nosebleed mm-hmm. seats that we were sitting in. Yeah, they exactly. had that room for everyone. Like, yeah. you, you need to put people like that in a space that accommodates, you yeah. know what I mean, yeah. that kind of, and that might be off off um, site. You yeah. understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. It might be at, a, you know, the M&T Stadium yeah. or what, yeah. right, right, <laughs> whatever. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> right. I'll go. You know what I mean? And yeah. then we'd be like, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best advice. That's mm-hmm. such good advice. Yeah, it is. Just, just get there early because you it may not expect it. The big names will definitely fill up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's our show. That's it. Tyrese, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having you were wonderful. We yeah. were so excited to have you. Yeah, and congrats on all the success you've had. And Thank we'll see you. And we're sending you mad luck. Yeah, mad, fingers crossed. Mad Hopefully, by the time luck. you hear this, you will have won that award. There it is. There um, it is. We also want to thank, of course, Mason Jar Press, who publishes us each yeah. month. We also want to encourage you to follow us yes. on social media. Yes, to, Twitter. Uh, Twitter to rate us and comment on yeah, us we love on, that. Our, on wherever you listen to our podcast. We, love that. we don't important. ask for that enough, people. But yeah. you know, be, be a good citizen and go and say something nice. Yeah, say something. if you want to engage with us, you can find us on social media. We'll respond to you for sure. We're at Lip Pop Bang on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, well, maybe Instagram in, some, in the future. We, we keep saying that. Are we ever going to do it? Are we ever going to pull that trigger? We should. we should pull a trigger. We should be honest. It's just you know con- why? You don't like pictures. People I love pictures. You don't like pictures. Pictures. You don't love pictures. He's <laughs> lies, people, lies. Anyway. All right, and as always, coming from Baltimore, this has been Anthony. And I'm Cece. And you've been listening to Lit Pop Bang. Bang.